should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now, here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Thursday, the 27th. Just a, a few more days left until July is done with, and then we move on to August. Not that we're in a hurry or anything to get through the year, um, but it's interesting. I mean, I give you the perspective of the date because it's only really been uh, six months, and already we feel like we've been living through a long, long, long war. The Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And uh, this week, Tuesday, was not my favorite day because John Zipper was not able to be <laughs> here with us. But today, Thursday, is my favorite day because he's here. We're glad that you could at least make it, you know, one day out of the week. Glad I could. So instead of Taco Tuesday, we'll have Taco Thursday. Taco Thursday or uh, or nothing. Yeah, I Just... was trying to think of food that started with TH and I couldn't help <laughs> top of my head. Um, oh man, geez, you know, it was, uh, it was an interesting Tuesday without you just because, uh, we, I woke up with news, uh, you know, just, uh, well, Tuesday was the day that the Senate voted to proceed on with the debate of repealing Obamacare. And then by Wednesday morning, the president had tweeted out that transgender service members were no longer allowed to serve in the military and will not be allowed or will be banned from here on out. And then by Wednesday evening-ish, uh, I believe that the Senate could not even get it together in terms of repealing Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, even with just the repeal of the uh, bill alone. So it just seems like this country is continuing to be in a hot mess. Though, don't you prefer it that way? It would be, considering the power balance right now, either they're in a hot mess and can't do anything, or they're efficient and passing health care repeal and uh, a whole lot more. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I was, I was very glad to hear of the situation of the health care, but although I kind of felt like, I mean, I, I felt very confident that that was going to happen. I mean, these guys are trying to repeal a bill that is giving over 20 million Americans, you know, health care. Of, of course, it's not perfect. It still needs, you know, some perfecting. It needs some work. Uh, but at the same time, it's like you never, ever, ever put any plan in place. Uh, many people were attacking um Sorry, why am I blanking? McCain's. John McCain? <laughs> John McCain for, you know, just, yeah. I mean, he really just went through brain surgery, got on a plane to, to make it to the vote. He actually, uh, I had heard on Monday night on our week-to-week -week program, we were talking about that, and tr he wasn't cleared to, to fly. 
So hmm. the Re Republicans were going to actually rent an, a, a you know a, a luxury RV and drive him across the country, which would have taken you know another two days or whatever. I guess somehow he decided to chance it and fly out. Um, and of course, he voted to give them. So th of course, what they voted on Tuesday was the. Uh, uh, right to go ahead and start the debate to to start considering right, things. Right, such so, a great president that yeah. he's got a lot of work done. Right, <laughs> but voting to start the conversation on the floor is different from voting for any of the bills, and none of the bills are passing. So, <coughs> excuse yeah. me. It kind of is a safe way for, say, a conservative Republican senator who doesn't really want to do this. To say to say to his conservative his or her conservative base, no, see, you know, I voted for you know having this debate, and the leadership was just unable to give us a bill that I thought would be fair. You know, basically allows them to have their cake and eat it too. Sure. Well, we have a fantastic show for you. We'll talk about how this country is still a hot mess and uh, <laughs> how our president is making it into a hot mess. We have a, an opinion or a perspective from someone who just wrote an incredible article on Salon.com and just kind of giving us insight about, um, you know, his travels. He had not lived in the United States for a really long time and, and uh, gives us an account of what it was like to come back. Um, and I thought that it's important to have this discussion because he's not Muslim um, and he's not, you know, Latin or Latino, uh, which we are hearing a lot from those groups and how they've been discriminated against. So I think it would be good for us to listen to him. Let's go ahead and get our program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. So I kind of already gave you a good uh, introduction to our next guest, Jonathan Meter, and he is the author of Checkpoint USA, Crossing the Border into Trump's America. Let's welcome Jonathan to the program. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, so yeah, let's let's hear your story. You you were living abroad for a while, and basically, your article goes through your account of what it was like to uh, interact with border agents as you're coming back. So, tell us where'd you go? Uh, was living in Cardiff, Wales, for about a year. And how long were you there? Uh, it was about a year. My girlfriend, my girlfriend got a, uh, a scholarship to study journalism, or, or as it would be described to us by the border patrol agents, fake news, um, <laughs> at the uh, university there. And she got a job offer in the United States, so we had to sort of rush to come back. Okay. Would have, yeah. yeah. That was. Uh, I've only been in the states. I've only been back in the states um, for about a month, maybe a little over that. So basically, you left before Donald Trump became president. Yes, we were overseas uh, during the uh, the waning days of the election and the election itself and the immediate aftermath. Uh, we were, like a lot of people, um, beside ourselves uh, to varying degrees of, you know, what the hell just happened. But, um, yeah, it was uh, really bizarre seeing all of this go down. Uh, especially as both of us uh, have been working as journalists for, you know, several years, and to not be in the thick of it was um, stultifying. Now that you're back here, what do you think of our new author authoritarian uh, regime? <laughs> uh, I can't say that I'm a fan. Um, <laughs> I mean, in some, in, in some ways, uh, he is sort of continuing um, 
you know, a lot of uh, the inherent and growing authoritarian nature of the executive branch. Mm-hmm. But Donald Trump, his own his own personal brand of it is it, it makes it much more naked uh, and and sort of concerning, uh, especially like the first action that he took uh, after inauguration with that travel ban. Uh, really just made it clear to anybody who may have wanted to give him a benefit of the doubt uh, that, that this was the, the main priority, like to, to sort of demonize and uh, orchestrate the uh, corralment of the other being Muslim, mm-hmm. uh, that, this, that this was like right off the bat what he was going to be about. And I just didn't know that, I could never would have thought as like a white U.S. citizen that whenever I would come back that that, that would sort of spill over and affect me. Okay, so for those of our listeners who haven't yet read your article, and they should, it really is gobsmacking, I think. Uh, tell us what happened. So you were, you were in a car trying to cross the border from Canada into the U.S. near Detroit. What happened? Yeah, well, it's uh, four, four you know, young white Americans traveling uh, to the border, and we, and a cat. The cat was also white. If that makes any difference, they're so, called feline Americans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so we got to the border, and the agent who was processing us basically, like he he gave us a, a, a an ideological litmus test. Uh, he was sort of sort of checking to see like where our political allegiances lie, and and, and implicitly giving. Uh, very generously, his own idea of politics and and how dangerous Islam is. So, uh, and yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, give us some of the examples of some of the things he he was asking you, or some of the statements he was making. Well, he, oh my God, he went on a, a couple of tears. Uh, first and foremost, just about how uh, we can't really trust like Muslims in general because. Religion, according to him, uh, is ideologically incompatible with Western values. Uh, went on to decry, you know, liberals as enemies of Trump, who are, and as well as you know, the uh, the news, uh, the news industry as a whole. With I would I would assume a few exceptions, uh, <laughs> and how they are by undermining Trump, they are making the country less safe. And every time he would just sort of go on one of these fields, there would be a silence, just this little gap of time in which it, we would, he was expecting us to agree with him. So do you, and it was really, really, really uncomfortable. Yeah, so do you think he was testing you, or was he just off on a rant because his medication's off? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I can't speak to, you know, his, his hypothetical chemical imbalance, <laughs> but... It definitely felt like, you know, growing up and, and, and learning about McCarthyism in school, it did sort of feel like what I had read about that, and mm-hmm. that um, he was taking this opportunity, which really should have been a, a document-based transactional experience, and mutating it into not only a platform for his very reactionary beliefs, which I would assume, uh, you know, were emboldened by you know, Trump in the White House, but also to sort of see, you know, where we stood on it. And it, there was just this implication that if 
I mean, he already, I, I was trying to speak up for the driver, my friend Elijah, mm-hmm. who was getting really nervous uh, as the driver and being sort of the uh, focal point of his attention and questioning. Uh, he was more or less telling me to shut up, speaking out of turn and things like that. So there was this tension in the air that, you know, in the context of like this really bizarre line of questioning that made it seem like a test that, it, you know, were, were we to, like, we, like, afterward, we were all just sort of in agreement that had we not acquiesced and pretended to agree with this man's worldview, that it could have been a longer experience or that he could have had, you know, it, it might have prompted him to search the car. Um, it, it definitely seemed like there was no wiggle room for our opinion, which is odd because didn't seem like it was a forum for his opinion in the first place. Wow, this is so, so, so bizarre. Michelle Miao and John Zipper in studio. Our special guest on the phone is Jonathan Meter. He wrote a, a personal account of his experience with a border agent as he was coming back. Uh, and, and this is through the uh, Canadian checkpoint, right, Jonathan? Right. Yeah, we were coming uh, from Canada to the uh, Detroit uh, <laughs> you know, Border Protection Agency checkpoint right there. And, you know, I, I guess people sort of assume that most of it is going to be international flights coming from any number of the, the Trump-designated Muslim uh, origin countries or the Mexican border. Now, uh, I want, not, not from, you know, right. Canada. Yeah, so I had just read an article the other day in which another, you know, Caucasian woman who was driving through New Mexico um, and encountered a checkpoint was asked by an agent for her uh, documents, basically. Well, asked her a simple question, are you a United States citizen? And she she wouldn't answer. She didn't think that it was uh, necessary for her to answer. Um, so there's been this huge conversation about what are our rights when we are approached by uh, an agent looking for your documents, and they can ask if you are a U.S. citizen, but but in your experience, I actually don't think it's right for an agent to impose his political views and make you feel as if you're not going to get back home as a United States citizen because you don't agree with him politically. And this is kind of what happened there. I mean, th- this, this guy brought up, you know, the fact that he believes uh, the Islam has, has these views to destroy the Western society. And so, you know, anybody with those uh, Islamic views are considered our enemy. In a nutshell, that's basically what he was saying, or, or that's how you felt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it, what should have been just based, like a, a transaction based on documents, uh, he took our passports right off the bat and just sort of ignored them, like had them, uh, put them somewhere in his booth, and spent most of the time just sort of talking politics. And, you know, we, we were really tired and we were, you know, eager to get home. Everything obviously was in order because, you know, you're, uh, I'm in the United States talking to you. But it didn't seem like it would be a part, like, it, it, like there's no uh, law that requires a, uh, you know, you, you sort of agreeing or, or being made to feel that you have to agree with this individual Border Patrol agent's, you know, uh, views on the world. Uh, and and it, just, it was doubly disturbing after the fact to sort of, you know, realize that, oh my God, like, as four white people, that, you know, we, we did get off light is, bizarre and uncomfortable as it was, like if we had had, you know, the wrong last name, worshipped the, the wrong God, and, you know, according to this 
FBI's opinion, we, our car would have been tossed. And had that been the case for us, he would have found uh, some you know, left-wing literature that was in the car that would have totally against uh, all of the nodding and agreement that we had you know, felt that we needed to give him in order to just get out of there. Jonathan, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to continue our conversation about your experience with border agents. By the way, for those who are tuning in, we said it. This is his experience as a white guy with other white friends, and even his cat was white, and he was treated with this kind of questioning and disrespect. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue the Michelle Miao Show. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on uh, the Michelle Meow Show, Thursday, July 27th. On the phone with us is our guest, Jonathan Meter, who wrote for Salon.com a true account of his experience with border agents as he was coming back from living abroad. Uh, Jonathan, I mean, you know, Salon.com is a huge, huge website yeah, that people, you know, read and, and get their news from, real news, that is. <laughs> What's been the response so far? Have you gotten responses from people who've read your article? Uh, and, and the responses go one of two ways. Uh, most of them seem to be people just uh, aghast and disturbed and angered by this treatment. Um you know that you know how like what gives this person uh, a right to act like uh, a feudal like you know that he's got this little dictatorship in this one little spot of the earth and his way is the high you know either his way or the highway. The other uh, responses are uh, people who 
don't believe it because of how crazy it sounds. Uh, that and some of the for some of the people who don't believe it, uh, it seems to check all of these boxes. That like, wow, this sounds like like if someone were to write, you know, a stereotypical account of an authoritarian, jackbooted U.S. border patrol agent, this would be it. Which you know, I find hilarious because to me that just shows that without you know. Uh, recording the guy and posting it on YouTube, uh, that it it would cause people like it makes people just sort of not realize that oh that actually, you know that is how people are being treated. And I think that it's difficult for people without you know a certain level of you know uh, recorded proof, which we could not do at that checkpoint. Um, that it, it just blows their minds such that it's almost like they don't even want to believe it. Do you think sharing your story publicly could hurt you the next time you cross the border? Um, no, actually. Uh, I, I find the opposite. Um, you know, as a, as a journalist, I've always found that as soon as something is made public and someone's name, either in a whistleblower capacity or what have you, uh, then that affords them a certain level of protection just because the issue is out there. Uh, now, granted, that doesn't, doesn't preclude the possibility that the opposite could be true, but no, I, I think, if anything, it uh, would make it a little easier for me. But, you know, I'm, I'm not looking forward to, to traveling again anytime soon. Would, would you behave differently in, in the future if you knew to expect this, or kind of is the best uh, advice? Probably, to... Yeah, you know, I probably would be uh, more assertive. I think most of us were, uh, again, we were so tired. That, you know, that, that compounded, you know, the shock that's just like, whoa, this is actually happening, uh, you know, in that moment. Uh, but I think in the future, uh, I, I would probably definitely be more assertive and uh, probably file, you know, complaints on the spot, um, whether, it, whether it meant that we could get in or get out of any, you know, the United States. Um, it just doesn't seem like something that, you know, what, what, what did George W. Bush say? Fool uh, me once, shame on you, uh, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, so. I actually wanted to follow up with that. Um, if you and your friends have done any uh, education or informing yourselves of the law, the actual law, right, when you are approached by a border agent, I think that's the important thing is most of us don't know. And then we'll just start talking or we'll just respond to them, especially if you're afraid of authority, like someone like, like myself. I might even just give them everything and anything and and say, arrest me. And they would. And they would take me away, even though that they have no right to do that. So I'm wondering if you guys had actually looked up what is the you know, proper protocol uh, and what your rights are? Uh, no, we haven't, and I think that's largely due to a belief that, you know, I guess that if it can happen to us, like, it's happening worse to, to everyone, and, and I think that it's just this, I mean, I'm ashamed to sort of admit it, but maybe it's a, a feeling of coming back to a country and being treated like this and with everything else that's going on, just a sense of defeatism that, like, I honestly don't think that this man... Uh, is an exception, but rather the rule, or, or it's sort of like an increasingly, you know, like new normal for, for how Border Patrol is conducting itself. Um, so, I mean, it's not going to stop me from doing it. The more, uh, I mean, I've, I'm very interested to sort of see if I get any sort of response uh, from the agency, boilerplate or otherwise, 
uh, just to sort of, uh, you know, see what they have to say. But uh, I, I don't, I honestly wouldn't expect anything to change. Uh, if anything, uh, he might be commended or given some sort of promotion as law enforcement often fails upward anyway. So. Yeah. Well, people might want to stock up on Make America Great hats before they cross the border. Um, yeah, I mean, if anything, you should just dress the part next time. Yeah. Well, let me, okay, we should get this on the record. Are you a terrorist, and do you want to destroy the West? Uh, no. Oh, wow. See, see, if he had just asked that, it would have been over. You could have gone <laughs> in your way. Yeah, I know. I mean, it could have saved us so much time, and by being direct and to the point. Sure. Yeah. So w- when you have heard from folks, I would assume folks are also sharing with you their horror stories or, or yes. bizarre experiences at the border. Any you can share with us? Uh, well, none, none off the top of my head. I mean, but they all sort of, you know, uh, they share similarities with my experience insofar as that, um, you know, whether they're, uh, some people not of color have had similar issues and uh, but none none is like nakedly ideological as this yeah uh but most of them have seem to have involved like people of color uh trying to do what we did and you know uh, documents being in order yet they get detained you know like officially you know that uh, they get hassles far more than what we experienced and their only conclusion seems to be that well if the documents are fine what gives mm-hmm. and they, the, the common denominator seems to be the, the color of their skin, to, to say nothing of some people who, you know, are not uh, a U.S. citizen. And uh, then it gets really dicey. Jonathan, I want to thank you for your time and for sharing your story. I, I really did appreciate you putting it out there. Um, I think the entire country needs to hear what's going on with all of our, you know, what's going on politically and that this kind of treatment is really uh, un-American, in, in my opinion. I mean, I think uh, you would agree. Uh, well, it's, I, I would think that it sort of depends. Like, some people would think that, you know, given that, I, I would say there's one of two ways to look at that. On the one hand, uh, you know, with a, a country such as the United States, an imperialist power that has a history of, institutionalized racism and, and and structural xenophobia that you could argue that it is unfortunately too American. But I would agree with you that it is un-American in the sense of the ideals that we all sort of strive to believe in as Americans, regardless of where we come from or who we worship. Jonathan, thanks again for joining us today. Thanks, Michelle. Jonathan Meter, he's a writer. He has worked for National Public Radio, The National Scene, and the Louisville Eccentric Observer. He currently lives in Springfield, Illinois, and you can find that article at salon.com. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue the show, and we have a special guest with us, uh, Captain Sage Fox, or I should say formerly known as Captain Sage Fox, who is a transgender veteran uh, and transgender activist. Uh, Captain Sage Fox, I'm just going to put it out there for the context of what's going on right now with the president's tweet, by the way. It was just a tweet that he has banned transgender service members. And so Sage Fox will be uh, be here with us to discuss that. So don't go away. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. 
Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Thursday. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here in studio with us, and we just wrapped up our first interview with Jonathan Meter, who wrote a true account of his experience with a Border Patrol agent as he was coming back to the United States uh, through the Canadian border, by the way. And so that checkpoint was in Detroit, but he talks about the fact that he and his friends were white, even their cat was white, and <laughs> they... Uh, they were treated in a way in which the Border Patrol agent really made them feel um, as if he was imposing his political views that, you know, Islam or anybody who follows uh, the Islamic religion or has those views are all about destroying Western society. Interesting. Uh, let's just say be careful as you're traveling. And that is just kind of the new thing now with President uh, Trump as president. <laughs> That's true. Uh, now we're going to turn our attention to the second half of the show, and I'm very excited to have my good friend back on the show. She was on the, she's been on the show before, and interesting enough, we had a discussion when she was on the show before talking about the fact that the United States military or, or army did not necessarily allow for transgender service members to serve openly, but that doesn't mean that we have never had transgender service members serve in the military. And now, just a few years uh, later, well, let me back up, because <laughs> during President Obama, the, there actually had been work on establishing a policy for transgender service members to serve openly. And then all of a sudden, Wednesday, as we had just mentioned, or yesterday, the president had tweeted there was no official press release. There were no discussions with uh, military officials, uh, the Pentagon or anything. It just tweeted the fact that he was banning transgender people. So we have a lot of questions. Is it even uh, possible? Is this legal? Is it uh, what's going on? And so we're going to have Sage Fox back with us to talk about uh, the president's tweet, what this might mean, what it means to her. And she's formerly known as Captain Sage Fox, by the way. Sage, thanks so much for taking time to speak with us. 
No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. So, like I mentioned, the the president just tweeted. Uh, who knows? You might have been in the bathroom. Wh- whatever. He just tweeted out this thing that he is banning transgender service members. But you had a response that um, you know I, I I respect in in a lot of ways where it wasn't necessarily like let's go there and be completely angry and go to the White House and beat him down. But you gave us some you know, logistical information or, or you rationalize it in a way for, for people to make sense of it. Can a tweet become law? Right, now is the question. I mean, so, yes, you tweeted, right? And this has been an ongoing debate before. Is a, a president's tweet considered policy, right? And now, of course, he actually is the commander-in-chief of, of all the military, so he has military authority, but that only goes so far. Um, he has decision-making authority on certain things, but he's supposed to work through, like everybody else does, through a chain of command, disseminate orders, that kind of stuff. So announcing something via a tweet and having that turn into policy, which turns into formal military policy intimidated on down through, that takes time. Um, but in addition to that, is his tweet now you know, going to become policy? Right? The Joint Chiefs, we found out this morning, won't even consult on that. So he says, I spoke with my generals, my top military advisors. Who were these people? What were the facts that he was given? He was talking about, you know, this enormous amount of money that's going to, it's going to cost for transgender military health care. Well, as the numbers have come out, you know, it's one, one thousandth of one percent of the military budget would have to get spent, you know, on, on military health care. With, you know, two to, four, two to eight million dollars in a 40, you know, billion dollar budget. It's, it's a minuscule amount. Um, you know, on contrast, of course, they're spending 40 million dollars a year on Viagra alone, right? So, um, so you can go through and have erectile dysfunction and be serving just fine because, you know, we'll take care of that because, you know, Johnny not getting an erection is very important. Um, but, of course, you know, if you have any kind of uh, distress about who you actually identify as, not just who you love, but who you really are, we can't allow that and that has to go, you know, get out. Um, so there's a conflict on that. You, you mentioned the news this morning about uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff not even being consulted. Um, I guess uh, Defense Secretary Mattis was consulted it's it there's no indication at least in what i've read this morning uh, as to what his views were on this but one of the things they said that what you know the the military pentagon is now okay you've stated what your new policy will be mr president we are not going to do anything until you give us direction as to how we should change policy and one of the things that they of course have to figure out is okay so if you're a transgendered service member right now and you are pushed out of the military, are you dishonorably discharged, honorably discharged? And that has quite a, an impact on the individual's life, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Not just on the individuals, but on all the commands as well. I mean, this is going to affect militaries across the board. And what does it really entail? Are you talking about just soldiers in uniform? Service members who actually wear uniform? Are you talking about anybody who's working for DOD? That's because right. there's a lot of DOD civilian contractors or civilian employees and contractors who are trans as well. We leave the military, we have hold security clearances, we have all these specialized skills, so it's natural for a lot of people to simply transfer over to a civilian status It's still continue working for DOD and working towards retirement. Um, but to back up, as Michelle was talking, you know, the bigger question on this whole thing is about, okay, this becomes policy. Well, you know, as, as leaders in the military, we're obligated to go through and follow um, orders, lawful orders, right? So the question comes down, in my opinion, this one, is this a lawful order? We're only supposed to go through and follow orders that passes two tests. Is it morally right and is it legally right? And if you can't say yes to both of those, you are actually legally obligated to go through and say, no, I cannot do that. I will not do that. 
And in my opinion, that's what the staff, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and all these top military leaders need to do and come back and say, no, this is actually a clearly discriminatory policy. We've already gone through and established that this can happen. We've made a process, you know, available to happen. We're in the steps of making this happen. What is your justification? Why are you going through and doing this? You know, show us that this is not, um, you know, this is based upon military readiness because we're saying no. And now one person coming along, talking to who knows who, um, and saying that, you know, this, this is what it is, uh, we need justification for that. And that's if I were, in, you know, top brass, I'd be questioning that before I went to and simply blindly accepted and pushed forth policy. Sage, you know, it's interesting you're, you're, what we're talking about because it's not like the military didn't go through or the Pentagon didn't go through a very uh, formal, uh, uh, I guess, uh, questioning of all these things that you're talking about, uh, uh, formal phase, if you will, and, and then coming to terms with the fact that transgender military service members should be able to serve openly and talk about that. I mean, you served for the military for 14 years or so, and uh, and then, you know, announcing the fact that you were transitioning, you were welcome back. And during a time in which there was an official, uh, or I say non-policy, there was no policy on transgender service members being able to serve openly. Correct, correct, yeah. I mean, so when I um, transitioned, I was actually, my intent had been to step out and leave, and they said I had to come back and serve again because of some non-translated medical issues from deployment um, and go for a medical review board. So I told them I was questioning, well, now I'm legally female, so don't me back, this is what has to happen. And by the way, I read through the policy, this is what the policy states, but the policy was based upon obsolete data because DSM-5 had come out and depathologized um, gender dysphoria being trans. And um, so I said, look, your policy is based upon outdated data. If you try kicking me out of this policy, I'll take you to court and I'll win. And it went up through top brass and through all the, you know, general staff legal offices. And they came back and said, she's right. You know, this is obsolete, and um, we need to go through and modify the policy. And if we try kicking her out, she'll win that case. Um, so that's why they accepted me back. Uh, one of the reasons why they accepted me back, they told me basically, you're a great officer. You understand your argument here, and we uh, agree with you. And you're a great leader, and we need great leaders, so please continue to serve. Um, and then somebody along the way, after I had been in back in service as a female officer, made a decision to give me orders, transfer me out. Decision, orders that were against military policy. And then when I argued against those, they said, can we just take them and go away and be quiet? So I never got official answer on why I was put in inactive status. Um, my opinion, I thought, was, was political. But, um, yeah, that's where we're at today. <laughs> At Fox 40, which is not named after you, but uh, the Fox TV yeah. station there, did an article on this and, and uh, a very powerful quote from you in it. You say, I defended people's right to discriminate against me. I defended their right to pass laws saying I have no rights. Um, do you regret any of your service? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say I'm a patriot. I am a patriot. I mean, I love this country. Um, I put the uniform on. I, I was inactive for four and a half years back in the 90s. I took 10 years off, went back in. I didn't go back in because of the love of my country. I went back in because I love serving alongside troops. I love leading troops. I love being in the military and making sure that these junior soldiers have good leadership. Um, and I can't regret that. I mean, any step of the way, um, yeah, there were trials and there were challenges and whatnot, but it made me who I am. To a degree, and it, it shaped a lot of my life, and I think it made me a much better person. 
And I think that most people who come out of the military would agree with that, that it's generally a very positive experience, um, and there's a lot to take away from that. Um, and I, I can't argue for the right, you know, enough to say that, yes, you know, we have a good system. You know, it needs to be defended. It needs to be improved. Um, but the basic principles behind our democracy should be defended. Uh, I think one of the things that that is particularly surprising on the political fallout that has happened since uh, the tweets uh, has been the number of folks who, I mean, across the board, not all across the board, but on both sides of the spectrum who have been saying, why are you doing this? This was not, you know, they're conservative uh, in Congress who are saying this isn't what we were asking for. Um, shouldn't, or at least couldn't people argue that he's weakening the military by removing soldiers for political means? I mean, this is like Soviet political commissars making decisions over the heads of their commanders. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a bureaucrat. He's not even a bureaucrat. He's a business person, not even a very good one. And he's making bureaucratic <laughs> decisions on military policy. He has, he has no understanding of military strategy or tactics. He has no understanding of military culture. Um, you know, he's never worn a uniform a day in his life or carried a weapon, as far as I know. Um, he, he's never served in a combat zone or been under deployment. He's never done all of these things that we do that becomes our lives. Uh, and this is why, you know, when you make these policies, it should go through the whole vetting process. And these leaders, you know, who've been in uniform for 40 years, right, who trained their whole lives are focused on military readiness. And, you know, to have one person consult with who knows who and probably some wacko people with bad numbers, you know, telling him this isn't a good thing to do. And he goes, oh, that's, you're right, absolutely. And then tweeting and making policy that supersedes everybody else. And, you know, there are hundreds of years of combined experience. And he suddenly thinks he knows better. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it detracts military. This does not enhance it. Um, the cost factor absolutely is negligible. Land did a study on that one. So this will enhance readiness. But kicking people out that, you know, who have decades of, of military experience, you know, senior leaders from colonels down to privates, you know, everybody in between, you know, decades of experience, each with these individuals in some cases, millions of dollars on training. Why? Because of gender, you know. But we've already eliminated all these gender boundaries in the service anyway. You know, jobs are now classified based upon can you do the job. You know, it requires you to go through and pick up 100 pounds and carry it 10 miles. If you can do the job, it doesn't matter if you're male or female. Mm -hmm. Right? So now, why does it matter if I'm trans? If I go from one to the other, it shouldn't make it a difference. It doesn't disqualify me for the job. If I'm no longer strong enough to do my job, that should disqualify me. If well, I'm, you know, suffering from the mental distress or something else that, includes, that says I can't do my job, then that should be disqualifying. But being trans by itself should not be an issue. Well, like, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, you know, the Pentagon had already gone through an in-depth uh, research and and kind of you know if they were to lift the ban on transgender service members, and I'm talking years ago, um, that they already they've already gone through all of that and came out with the decision that transgender service members should serve in the military. And this is just a few years ago that the announcement was made and that they actually had uh, you know some type of deployment protocol to to roll out, you know, education and training. But one thing that has come up in the Trump administration that sparked some controversy, we should go back, is what Sage had talked about, which is the cost of of, of medical support for transgender service members. That includes gender reassignment surgery and hormones. And we should bring up the name Vicki Hartzler, 
that we because we talked about it here on this program and this woman you know um, might have been part of a group of uh, Congress members who were holding up a package that Donald Trump wanted to desperately pass, but there was this hiccup, and so that's kind of like what he did, is he woke up and was like, well, you know, I want my my package passed, or his budget, which includes the installation of the wall, by the way, uh, passed mm-hmm. so bad that we're I'm just going to make this uh, stupid tweet. So, Sage, you know, talk to us a little bit more about what might be behind Donald Trump's decision to, quote-unquote, ban transgender service members. I can only see it as a political move. He's trying to go through and gain some support. He's lost a lot of faith. Um, you know, he's not getting the, the, the support he wants for the wall and for everything else. And he thinks this is going to go through and gain him some of that. Um, you know, to justify this and say he wants to divert these funds for the wall is absolutely ridiculous. You're talking about a wall that's estimated, you know, in, a, in tens of billions or more uh, over years of construction time. And you're going to save 2 to $8 million by banning transgender troops at, you know, in service. How, much, how many more millions of dollars are it going to cost, one, to get rid of everybody, and then you're losing all those, those skill sets and to replace those people? A lot more. It's probably going to go through and take at least 10 to 15 years to recoup the financial losses that this is going to affect, or are going to create, rather. If someone is honorably discharged, what, do they still get military medical care? Um, to a degree. If you come back from a combat zone, you can get VA health care for five years. If you have a qualifying disability, you can get health care for that. If you're 100% disabled, you can get full health care, yes. Or if you're retired, you can. But again, um, a lot of those things are, are limited. You have to get so many years in service before you can have that, and there's always these conditions. But, and VA health care is not the best in the world either. Well, well I'll assume someone has, has you know, served a long time and, and they're, they've, they're transitioning. Would medical care related to their transitioning be included if they were honorably discharged? And what I'm getting at is, if he's saying cost is his reason, uh, wouldn't that push for him to somehow force or try to force uh, the Pentagon to dishonorably discharge these soldiers? Um, they could, but again, that's just going to get embroiled in a whole legal thing. They did the same thing before with Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and before and when that was in fact, they found somebody who was gay or lesbian, they discharged him dishonorably or other than honorable discharge. Right, right. Uh, and all of those have been getting overturned and pushed back and turned it converted to honorable in the years since then, um, since Rookfield Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And they need exactly the same thing. They can't go through and a year ago say, yes, you can serve openly, and now nothing has changed as far as the soldier goes, and soon because of change in policy determining that now your, your service is now dishonorable. Right. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's immoral, and I'm, and I'm sure that it will be deemed illegal as well. They, so they can't do that. Um, but again, transferring people so people out of this and then giving them, well, you can give you health care in the VA, that just transfers the cost from one bucket to another. Right? And, the VA, and the VA has limitations on the health care as well. Right now, there's currently a ban on transgender-related sur- surgeries. They do not help you with surgeries in the VA yet. Mm-hmm. Sage, as we're winding down our conversation with you, I mean, you know, kind of what's next? I've been turning to trans activists, trans leaders uh, to hear what they have to say and how they're weighing in on this uh, situation. At the same time, I'm seeing, you know, the LGB community and uh, I, sh- I guess I should say cisgender LGB folks who are, are also weighing in on this in terms of, you know, organizing and r- rallying protests and talking about, you know, trans rights in a different way that we we had not seen before, at least in the last five years. What are your thoughts about what happens next? Um, whew, loaded question on that one. 
One, we're not sure what the exact fallout is going to be on the political side from the policy, from his tweet. Does it become policy? Will it implement it? Will they try to implement it? Um, and then if that is the case, what steps can we take from a legal perspective to put a stay on that? How can we go through and stop that from happening until we have further evaluation or a, a legal determination on what is the right course of action? Um, so that needs to happen first on that one. But um, I think people are standing up and paying attention to this one because they're recognizing, I hope at least, that this is not just a trans issue. One, this is affecting military readiness, which affects everybody, but this is a hallmark civil rights issue, right? You have a president who's been very anti a lot of things, um, you know, anti people in a lot of ways. I hate to say it that way, but it seems to be true. Um, but, you know, can he go through and tweet and revoke the rights of tens of thousands of people? The right to serve in the military, the right to an honorable discharge, the right to medical benefits, the right to to, you know, the things that they've earned, justifiably earned, and they've proven. We've been fighting for this for years, right? And so now, three tweets, and suddenly they've lost those rights? Well, I think if that can be allowed to happen, and again, allowed to happen, so it hasn't happened yet, if that is pushed forth and allowed, and no one stands up and says, no, you can't do this, then that creates a precedent for the next thing he can take away, and then the next thing he can take away. And at what point do they finally stand up and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, you can't allow this to happen, right? It might be too late at that point. So we need to stop this now, and I'm hoping civil rights leaders will pay attention and see that, that it's in everybody's best interest, no matter the color, the creed, the orientation, or identity, that we need to stand up and say, this cannot be allowed to happen. This is not the way we do things in this country. Sage, thank you so much for taking time out of your really busy day. And I know that the media probably is bombarding you with requests to speak on this issue. But I want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart uh, for having you here on the Michelle Meow Show. Always a pleasure, Michelle. Thank you very much. Don't go away. When we come back, John and I will discuss our final thoughts on today's show and uh, chime in on everything else that's happening here on this uh, hot mess of a country, <laughs> or at least that's what it feels like. So don't go away. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say, I do. Especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care serving your community.
You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on the Michelle Miao Show. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. And um, we talked the first half about basically what it's like to travel, uh, you know, or travel back to the United States in Trump's America. We're going to call it Trump's America because I think that for, for a lot of us, we're experiencing this very new attitude for the first time. Although some people would argue that uh, the United States has always had some kind of problematic issue when it comes to Border Patrol agents or agents who are checking your documents who may have bias and prejudice and kind of impose that onto people, especially if there are people of color or non-white, I guess I should say. Uh, But our guest today, Jonathan Meter, is actually a white guy and he was traveling with his white friends. Even his cat was white. And the Border Patrol agent may not have outright discriminated against him or made him feel uh, other, if you will, but did make him feel uncomfortable, you know, especially politically. Well, and of course, what he did and what what he has there was that moment when uh, they were at their most vulnerable, right? They want to get this over with. They want they're worried about what could happen. So he has kind of maximum power there, even if he. I don't actually know the laws, but I'm assuming you cannot actually impose a political uh, test on someone uh, trying to get into the United States. So he, he was using that leverage on them at the same time. So then afterward, you, you of course, go through that and you think, oh, I wish I hadn't just said yes to everything or oh, I wish I, I had done this or I wish I had asked him to uh, you know, specify what law he's following or something. But of course, at the moment, A, you want to get through it. B, you don't know what bad things could happen. And see, he's an authority figure. I think that that should be the topic for a future show. I mean, what to do if you are approached or coming back, you know, or to, to the country and you're, you're, you're going through the border checkpoint and talking to an agent. I mean, what are the things that you can answer or should answer? What kind of questions are those? And then what kind of questions um, would be considered inappropriate or what is inappropriate uh, behavior for you even as a United States citizen? Um, I think that's a future show. Didn't you recently speak to a group of uh, border agents? I did, um, but I don't think that they were specifically – um, just Border Patrol agents. It was like a collective group of okay. customs and Border Patrol okay. uh, right here in San Francisco. So some of them were TSA agents. Some of them worked in the import-export you know, department for mm-hmm. the United States. And then I think the ones who are actual Border Patrol agents didn't really want to uh, out themselves as that. And so it was very interesting. And even as I was talking about LGBTQ issues and being someone of color and being you know, um, uh, an immigrant or my parents were refugees, uh, I said all those things. I mean, I had nothing to lose if they Mm -hmm. wanted to check my papers at that point. Um, I had my California ID, uh, but they already knew everything about me. I just gave them my last four digits of my social security. They asked for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, I didn't have a, a hard time getting into the building. I mean, 
yeah, they pat me down and, you know, they, they, they take, I think they take your, yes, they took my fingerprint. <laughs> um, all we have to say is, I mean, don't wait for us to do a show. Get the information on your own, especially if you're traveling. And don't assume that just because you've got a passport or a green card, um, even a California ID like myself, that 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 removes you from, you know, just a scary moment in time. And and this applies to everybody, including white people, as we've demonstrated here on the program. <laughs> What, what, what good is white privilege if I can't even get you through the border? <laughs> <laughs> On the second half of the show, we talked about the transgender, I'm going to put it in air quotes, ban, yeah. because, you know, the president seems to think that anything he writes on his Twitter feed um, can become policy. It, he is just crazy, you know? I, don't, I, I woke up this morning and, and was like, you know, tr- Donald Trump is like a stubborn new STD that no one has come up with the antidote or, you know, the medicine for and it's just there and you can't do anything about it until somebody figures out how to get rid of it okay <laughs> <laughs> um I, I, I it is interesting that i mentioned that even congressional uh, republicans were saying you know or backing or putting a lot of space between themselves and this uh latest tweet uh, and including Senator John McCain, who said the White House made a mistake on the transgender ban, and you know he should have gone through the process of going through Mattis, who was already studying this and such. Um, so uh, it's I, I don't know where this will end up. It might be something that Trump and his folks feel they have to carry through as a matter of pride. You know, okay, he tweeted it, so we got have to make it a reality, or. Um, I think it's very likely that, as Sage Fox said, this is going to end up in a lot of court. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, you can't just wake up and fire 15,000 service members who have been loyal to the country. I mean, it's not like, you know, you're the CEO of Walmart and you decided, okay, for budget reasons, you know, supposedly, I'm going to fire this group of people. Um, You are the president of the United States and you're talking about the freaking military, people who are in a lot of ways volunteering their life. The military he was unfit to serve in. Oh, yeah. That's the funny thing is people had dug up the fact that, you know, this is a guy who dodged the draft five times. Is that really true? I I don't know the actual number, but, uh, you know, I've never I never served in the military and I probably would not make a good soldier. But um, I have a heck of a lot of respect for folks like Sage and and. Gay, straight, male, female, uh, cisgender, transgender, I don't care. But I mean, yeah. for someone to give up a lot that they give up and to go through a lot that they go through in order to uh, serve their country honorably, I, I respect yeah. the heck out it, of that. It's and not I certainly even, wouldn't want to yeah. stop them. It's not even the physical training. Right. Uh, you know, the mental and, yes, you're right, the fa- You know, giving up your family if you have one. They might be doing it for the free Viagra, though. Yeah, so. right. Uh, that was such a surprise when people were like, you know, the military spends this much on Viagra, and yeah. I'm like, why? Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh, so much stuff you uncover, and that, my friend, uh, I think is not fake news. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. So there's a lot going on, and I'm sure you've got a lot of content now for your week-to-week political roundtable talk that you do here on Fridays. We never run out of stuff. You never run out of stuff. That's been the uh, thing here. It's been refreshing to be back in studio, but that's at the same time, it's like I feel like every hour I should be producing a show for the Michelle Meow Show because something else comes up. Um, we'll talk about it next week, but there's also something else else also. 
to add to this discussion that we should have. We talked about the transgender ban today that the president had tweeted, but there's something happening at the DOJ when talking about LGBTQ workplace protections. And as of this morning, there seems to be some decision made that uh, LGBTQ people cannot be protected under a specific title. Title I don't, nine. I title believe. nine. Um, so more discussion about that next week. I want to thank everyone for tuning in here to Progressive Voices Network and listening to us here at the Michelle Miao Show. John Zipper is with Commonwealth Club. You can head to commonwealthclub.org and find out more of what kind of programs they offer. For everything else, you can head to michellemiao.com. We'll see you tomorrow.